This episode is brought to you by Element, spelled L-M-N-T. What is Element? Let me tell you. It's a delicious, sugar-free, electrolyte drink mix. As a coach, we are constantly trying to find the best products for our athletes to train and compete at their highest level. Element is a great alternative to other commercial recovery and performance drinks and has enough sodium, potassium, and magnesium to get you feeling and performing your best. Plus, it has zero sugar, no artificial ingredients, and is gluten-free. With a variety of delicious flavors, you are guaranteed to find one your taste buds will love. I know our athletes love the citrus salt, while my favorite is grapefruit. We keep a variety box in the office, and our athletes stop by every day on their way to practice or games to load up. At this point, they won't even touch another product, and I am replenishing our supply on a weekly basis. Without amazing products and sponsors like Element, our podcast would not be possible. Right now, when you click on our affiliate link and place your first order, Element is giving us a 150% commission. That means if you spend $100, we get $150 to keep this podcast running. The best deal you can get is to buy an insider bundle. You buy three boxes, you get one free. And if you click our affiliate link, drinkelement.com slash justinclimo, we will get a commission and you will get a free sample pack with every purchase. Last thing, Element might have the best return policy on the planet. If you don't love it, you will be instantly refunded. If you're a longtime listener, you might know that I've been drinking AG1 for a couple of years. If you're not a longtime listener, then know that I drink AG1 on a daily basis. When I first started drinking it daily, I could feel a real difference in my daily health. I had more energy, I felt more relaxed, I could focus better. That's because AG1 is a foundational nutritional supplement that supports your body's universal needs like gut optimization, stress management, and immune support. Since 2010, AG1 has led the future of foundational nutrition, continuously refining their formula to create a smarter and better way to elevate your baseline health. I recommend AG1 to all of my family and friends because it has worked so well for me. So much so that my two eldest children have become regular users of the product. My daughter who has been studying abroad recently asked us to bring her more product when we went to visit her at Thanksgiving. My other daughter who's a freshman in college regularly contacts us to make sure we send her more product. AG1 has been transformational as it has replaced all of the needless ramekins of vitamins and minerals that I used to take. If you really want to take ownership of your health, it starts with AG1. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3, K2, and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase. Go to drinkag1.com slash contacts. That's drinkag1.com slash contacts to order your own supply and start on your journey to better health. Let's talk about sleep for a minute. I've had a terrible time getting productive rest and sleep for the last few years. And since poor sleep can lead to all sorts of health problems, I'm constantly on the hunt for a better night's sleep. Recently, I came across a new product called Beam Dream, 
which has delivered the best sleep I've had in a long time. The first time I tried it, I fell asleep on the couch within a half hour and didn't wake up until the next day. Since starting my new routine with Beam, my sleep performance has improved significantly according to both my Aura Ring and Whoop Band. Yes, I use both at once because why not have more data? If you are interested in upgrading your sleep, I invite you to try Beam Dream. Today, my listeners get a special discount on Beam's Dream Powder, their best-selling healthy hot cocoa for sleep with no added sugar. Now available in delicious seasonal flavors like cinnamon cacao, sea salt caramel, and white chocolate peppermint. Better sleep has never tasted better. A recent clinical study revealed that 93% of users wake up feeling more refreshed and 93% reported that Dream helped them get a more restful night's sleep. If you're looking for a way to get some rest and you have trouble sleeping, I highly recommend this product. If you want to try Beam's best-selling Dream Powder, take advantage of their biggest sale of the year and get up to 50% off for a limited time. When you go to shopbeam.com contacts, Discount auto applied at checkout. No code is necessary. That's shopbeam.com slash contact. Dedicated for up to, to bringing 50% you practical off. ideas from coaches, sharing what they have learned throughout their career. The show is designed to serve as a digital database of mentorship from a wide network of coaches whose innovative, reflective, and diverse knowledge may offer ideas to enhance your own experience. In addition to sports-specific expertise, each episode also dives into the ways in which culture, strategy, and tactics can cross from one discipline to another. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this episode. If you liked this episode, please take the time to press the subscribe button and become a regular listener of the show. If you enjoy the episode, please take a moment and press the subscribe button and rate and review on your podcast platform. Your feedback really helps us promote the show and climb the podcast ladder. If you enjoy this episode and like what we're doing, please share it around your network. In addition, I ask that you take a moment and press the subscribe button and rate and review the episode you listen to. Your feedback helps us promote the show and attract new listeners who might benefit from the content. Welcome back to the Contacts Coaching Podcast. Super excited to be joined by Mario Ania today, former Oklahoma Sooners lacrosse coach, current coach of all things life and youth sports, giving back to the community. Coach, thanks for being here today. Awesome, Coach. Thank you so much for having me. Blessed to be here and talk to you about all things. And thanks for having me. Yeah, no, I'm excited. Here we go. So take us through your background as a coach. Uh, how'd you end up coaching? What was the process for you getting into this at the very beginning and then any subsequent jobs that you've landed along the way? Yeah, so it's an interesting story. In 1995, I graduated from the University of California at Berkeley, and I was lucky enough to play in the Division I North-South All-Star Game, and it was a lot of fun at Johns Hopkins University. And I got drafted to play in the major indoor lacrosse league in 96. And they were showing me a lot of stuff. And I said, man, when did you guys learn all this stuff? I was 22, 23 at the time. And they're like, oh, Mario, this is all stuff we learned in seventh and eighth grade. So I said, wow, okay, I'm hyper learning. It's great. And in 97, I decided, you know what? I'm going to go back to my alma mater. I called Coach Young and said, hey, would, would you have me as an assistant coach? I've learned a ton. 
but I would love to come back, moving back to Carmel, Monterey. I would love to give back and share what I've learned through college and one year in the pro. And so he, he was gracious enough to give me my first assistant coaching job at Stevenson. And from there, what were the steps along the way that led to you ending up out in Oklahoma? You got about a 30-year gap there. But what was funny is after the first season as the assistant coach at Stevenson, I coached with Coach Young for five years. And in my second year, I guarantee you, Coach, I was the only person in America that was an assistant coach at a high school with practice from three to five. And then I jump in the car and I drive 90 minutes to Santa Clara University, where I was the head coach. And I'd run practice from 7 to 9.30 at night at Santa Clara. And so it worked out because the high school was just games during the week. And then the college was games during the, the weekend. So I, I could do both. And it was like I did that for two seasons. But we had a lot of Stevenson grads on Santa Clara. And so that's how that led to doing that. So that was pretty interesting all the mistakes that the high school team made that week we made sure that the college team didn't make and all the mistakes that the college team made we made sure that the high school didn't make so I had for about five years an 11 a.m standing phone call with coach young and we would strategize and this is what I learned and this is what we need to do and this is what happened and that was the kind of my first year of double dipping and trying to Learn what I didn't know that I didn't know. Okay. I'm going to dig into that a little bit later, and it nothing has changed. We still have a bunch of Stevenson kids at Santa Clara. I often joke that, oh, you're going to Stevenson North when, they, when the kids decide to go there. Um, all right, from there. So you got five years there, right? You're two years double dipping, and then what came along? So then after five years, so this is back now, we're going into maybe 2000. We... As the Stevenson lacrosse team, we were the champions of the Condor League. And St. Ignatius was the champions of the Northern California League. Foot Foothill Lacrosse Club in Orange County was their champion. And uh, Torrey Pines was the champion for the South. And so back in that day, you had the final four. And so we would uh, you, you'd play a semifinal. And then the, this is when lacrosse was a club. Man, 20 years ago now, and we lost to Torrey Pines, and it was a tough loss. I thought that we had the talent to, to win, and it was at that point I said, you know what, I think I'm ready to start my own program and run things my own way, and so I went over to Carmel, and we started, we started both Carmel and Monterey High simultaneously in the early 2000s, and then for about a couple of seasons, I just started starting programs. And then in about 2002 to about 2010, I was maybe 2009, the game was about ready to explode. You had a lot of club teams. They had gotten organized to go CIF, which would have expanded it even more. And so I felt the opportunity as an entrepreneur to set up at that time, uh, you had a catalog service to order lacrosse equipment. And I, I, felt that it was time to start a store. And so I did uh, the first store. I, I got Carmel, Coach Bruce Dini took over Carmel for me. And I said, listen, I'm going to start some stores in the Bay Area. And so my plan was to, to, to do the stores and, and open up stores and, and package them up and eventually sell them. 
And so I did that for the next, I don't know, while. And then came back. I coached five years at Santa Catalina. And that was a lot of fun coaching girls, completely different and coaching boys and learned a lot about just management of people and, and getting the kids ready. And then in that situation, the girls were very sensitive, much more so than the boys. And so after five years of that, I said, you know what? I got to go. I got to go somewhere else. I can't. I've been here, done this. It's been great. And I said, let's go to Palma. I'm going to get started at Palma. I want those athletes. And so we started it at Palma. And, and then that was, that was great for a couple of years. And then let's see here, that gets you caught up. And then, and then eventually I had an opportunity to, to coach college and, and kind of move out of the area. And I did that for a couple of years and then COVID essentially stopped all operations, which was unfortunate, but currently I'm coaching the 2032s. That's the graduation year. They're a bunch of 10 year olds coaching my kid fourth grade and just having a ball. And I think I'm right right where I'm supposed to be doing what I'm supposed to be doing. All right. I love that. And uh, I really want to go in on your last statement. I think I'm where I'm supposed to be doing what I'm supposed to be doing. And it takes us back to the beginning question, right? How did you get here? What was the journey along the way? And there's often this pull when you're in coaching that it's like, what's the next step? What's the next job versus, Hey, how often early in your career are you considering age and stage and where you're supposed to be versus where you want to go? So I really liked it. I think I appreciate you said that. I think it's something for people who are listening to take into account versus maybe feeling a certain way about being stuck or not being where they think they should. And sometimes you are where you're supposed to be. So that's mm -hmm. a really good pivot point. So let's go all the way back here to the Santa Clara deal. And then we're going to come all the way back to when you moved over to Carmel, since those were the first head coaching opportunities that you had. Mm -hmm. What I usually want to know, you got to play for Coach Young, you got to play at Cal, you had a storied career. And then all of a sudden it's okay, I'm the head coach now. What did you realize right away that you needed to figure out, even though you've probably been prepared at the feet of some of the masters? <laughs> what did you realize? Like, yeah, this well, is you. You, you can appreciate this, that what I learned early on was that I like coaching. I like being on the field. I like running practice and scheming and game planning. And what I did not like was all the administrative duties that a head coach has. And you got to remember, I graduated college in the mid 90s. So had not, did not send a single email, did, did not have uh, dial up Internet yet. And technology in the iPhone has, had not been developed. You were still literally uh, typing out practice plans and print printing uh, stuff. And, and there's a lot of admin. Now, fast forward to today and the iPhone and, and how that's streamlined, much easier now. But that's always been, I think, in general, the coach's Achilles heel is the admin side of being a head coach. Yeah, I talk about this on occasion with my friends and we've had it on one of the episodes where I asked a good friend of mine what he thought the percentage of time spent on basketball was versus the time spent on all of the other things that come with it. And we settled on when you're the head coach, about 15% of your time is spent doing your sport. And the other 5% of the time is spent doing other things. Yeah, I would hope it would be more, but that's probably about right. All right, let me ask this. Going from 
Harmel as the head coach and then opening Palma because I was there when you first proposed it to them and then I had left and then you finally got it going over there. And this is usually designed to help people figure out what are the things that are most important when you first begin or you're moving jobs. What are some things you can offer? And hell, even when you got out there to Oklahoma and and you you have to establish some things, it's like, what are, would you say are the the things you got to focus on when you're stepping into that head coaching role for the first time? Yeah. So I think it's very different. I, I think it's a lot easier to take an existing team and learn their cultures and traditions and, and players and improve that versus like at Palma, it was coach Clayton, I think, right. That said, how much will it cost that if a player, if an athlete at Palma wants to play lacrosse, to hand him the gear necessary to play lacrosse. And he wrote a check and started lacrosse right away. And they had the facility, they had the numbers and they had uh, competitive athletes with a steep tradition with football. And so that is the athlete that me as a coach would want. So you play basically football in the fall, you play lacrosse in the spring. So it was a great fit. And I really enjoyed my time there at Palma. It, it was short, but it, it was great. And what I learned, so that would have been maybe, I don't know the dates, somewhere. I think it was 2010, 2011, because I had just left when you got it going. Okay. So what I realized then, and they were ahead of their time, where they would split, huddle. You had the iPhone, you had the iPad, you had huddle, the software that could organize and cut the film. And those football players were watching the film of their opponents all week. And so what I learned at Palma was that if you did a 90 minute film session as a one day a week practice, it it was invaluable with new players. And at that time I could show those kids a mistake one time on the film and then they would correct it without ever having to go out on the field. And so we, actually lost to Carmel in the playoffs our first or second year. And that's what I learned at Palma was that if you can leverage technology, those kids will watch the video and implement it into their game. And you can really escalate that learning curve through the film. Yeah, I think that's a great piece of advice because as I shift over to coaching the girls now, it's a completely new, let's use the word system, that I'm asking them to learn where I had eight years with the boys where it was ingrained. So the learning curve was a lot quicker because you're adding a handful of pieces to what's already there, like you just said, versus starting from scratch. And I've struggled with the aspect of time on task. It's We got 90 minutes. Where do I want to spend that time? We got games that are coming and we've stolen where we get here a little bit early, watch film 15, 20 minutes a day before practice. But I haven't gone all in like you just said. And you know what? Today's just going to be filmed. And maybe that's something that I need to try. Let me follow with this, coach, which is, all right, so you're at Palma. You did that, took a break or a transition right to Catalina, and you're shifting now to a different group. How did that strategy play there? And what other things did you have to come up with to get your message across shifting from the boys to the girls? Not only because of gender, and I want to not necessarily go down that road as much, But because women's lacrosse, as I understand it, is a completely different game in regards to rules and some strategy things. 
Yeah. So I coached it for five years and I still don't know the rules. It was changing from game to game, month to month. But I love my time at Catalina. And I think it made me be a more sensitive coach in response to, I'll give you an example. The first away game we went to, all the kids were studying on the bus. And I pulled the captain up front. I said, hey, is, is this normal? Like, we're going to play a game and everybody's studying. I said, I, I never, boys definitely did not do that. And she said, oh, yes, Coach Mario, don't worry. The bus can't have the lights on the way back. So we study on the way there. And then on the way back, we won't study. And I, I said, okay, great. But whether it's boys or girls, for those of you that don't know, the men's game, you're allowed, you're in full contact, you're in full pads, and you're allowed to engage in, in body contact and stick contact. And in the girls' game, at that time, you had no headgear. Oh, maybe they had goggles. I don't know. And, and you weren't allowed to body. You could only stick check. So it became more of a finesse game. And coming from the new start where the fundamentals of lacrosse are scooping, cradling, passing and catching, it just it's even more emphasized in the girls game because you can't use body to stop. So it just proved they had that long wall at the tennis courts in Santa Catalina. And so the girls uh, would bring a speaker. We'd play music and we would do wall ball. And that was the secret to our success uh, for five years with those kids. So again, it was just developing the stick skills and being just really incredible at the fundamentals. Yeah. And that goes into what I'm sure you've heard is skills equal freedom. So anytime you're trying to implement system and you don't have the fundamental skills to catch, it's going to be hard. Exactly. It doesn't matter what level, boys or girls, or what geographic location you're in. You could have John Donowski, head coach of Team USA, coaching your kids. But if they can't pass and catch, then there's really nothing he can do. Yeah, and I would agree that goes across pretty much every sport discipline that exists. So those Yeah, and what I tell the kids is that it's like basketball, is that you don't need – Anybody else, when you go to that wall to develop your skill, that's on you. And when you go and shoot hoops, whether it's 100 a day or 250 or 500 or 1,000, that's on you. How much do you want to invest in your skill? And then what if you can grab a teammate? What if you can grab a line mate? And then what would happen if six or eight of the kids were at the wall with you? Or what happens if 20 of you guys are at the wall? So it just depends on what commitment level do you want because of what your ambition and goal is of what level do you want to try to play at? I want to go into something you just said there, which was what if you could get a line mate? What if you could get eight to 10 athletes there? What tips, tricks, etc., can you offer to help cultivate leadership? And I'm not talking about captains, not the what I consider the artificial stuff, but like Leadership is influence, and often you'll have your hardest worker who's a solo entity, just a gym rat by themselves. And my struggle has always been like, okay, you don't have to teach that kid how to work, but how do you teach that kid how to bring people alongside of them? Because ultimately, then that helps the greater team. What thoughts do you have on that? What advice do you have on that to help that kid become a more polished leader in regards to bringing others along with them? Yeah, I don't know. It's I, I think I think the Kobe Bryant mentality when those guys were coming in, I, I forget what show it was. I'm sure you've seen it. They were coming in from the clubs and he was going to the weight room on Team USA after they had lost. 
Do you know which one I'm talking about? Yeah, I just don't remember the name of it. Yeah, so I think just doing it and and it, and, it, and it multiplies, right? That that one hard worker has to get a buddy, and then they each have to get two, and then once you get eight, then it, it the other guys feel guilty, right? But I will say that you know it's changed a lot if a kid had overslept at stevenson a captain would have run back and woken his ass up in the dorms and now today you need a fob to get into the dorms and that would be some type of violation of personal space and you're not allowed to do that that's really hard you, you, you try to develop that culture and yeah, it, it's your top through your one through eight guys got it. But then how do you develop that nine through 15 or however many you got on your roster? Yeah, no, it's a constant struggle. Not, I wouldn't even say to get work ethic developed, right? Because ultimately, as you grow as a human being, you're going to develop that over time and make changes to certain things and, and learn that how you do anything is how you do everything. But it's That's just like trying to empower and actually challenge those kids all the time where I've got a kid who graduated last year that you could set your watch by it every, every night at nine o'clock. Can I get the keys? Sure. Come get them. And it was by himself. And then ultimately I got to a place where it was like, no, I was like, unless you bring somebody with, you know, and then he started like going through the whole roster, trying to get different people. And then ultimately he found, somebody late in the spring as a senior who's his partner in this which is matt's son the youngest son cooper and auden was graduating but it's like he just got back from college he's a redshirt at sonoma state and we, we had a game tuesday night and i get this text at 5 30 hey can i get the keys and i send him a picture of the game and i'm like no <laughs> when's the game over i'm like probably 8 30 he's like all right i'll be there then and so it's that that's just how do you help them understand that a rising tide lifts all boats? Absolutely. I think it's easier said than done, but I think that's the right I think that's the right way to do it. I, I would throw in the fact that if you have a depth chart and the competitive kids that know who's in front of them and go at it that way. But yeah, it's I always kid about you got two types of athletes. You got the type of athletes like, hey, dude, hurry up, get your gear on, get out there. And then you got the type of kids where it's, dude, get off the field. It's not your turn yet. Like, you need to wait. Like, the other team's playing. So which athlete mindset do you want to add to your locker room? Yeah, no doubt. All right, let me ask you this. What do you think is the best thing you do as a coach that has gone with you from place to place in regards to, okay, I started off at Stevenson, then Santa Clara, then I started these other programs, then I was at Catalina, then I went to Oklahoma. Kind of what's the through line that you could offer other people is that this really has a transformational effect on the culture you're trying to build. Okay. I love golf. I love football. I love basketball, but lacrosse is by far my favorite and it combines the best that we love in each of those sports. So I think that the best thing that I do for the kids, I let them play is I increase their fundamentals to an advanced degree and I let them be creative and football it's 10 seconds, it's from A to B, and it's very one-dimensional, and there is no real freedom to lateral the ball if you feel like it, or pass it, or throw back, or whatever. In basketball, there's all sorts of freedom. Now, with that creativity and freedom, you're going to turn the ball over, so you have to be patient as a coach. 
that you give him the green light because the game is fun. In lacrosse, we don't have a double dribble. We don't have a travel. And in order for it to be a foul, it needs to be a hard foul where there's advantage-disadvantage. So the closest game to lacrosse is basketball. But what I do is I let them have fun. And, and the game teaches the game. My teams are physically fit. Cardio tests and strength and conditioning tests are what set the high school and college teams apart from the other. Uh, I teach them how to synchronize in the attack and to synchronize the defense. Um, in lacrosse, our full court press is called a 10-man ride. And that's always a secret to my success. Uh, I teach them how to double team correctly. And then we have a swarm call on ground balls. So we keep one kid at home and we send five guys to go play man ball release. And it doesn't seem like it's that big of a deal. But when you get two or three extra possessions in a 20 game season, that's a substantial amount of strategy that can sway a game. Now, see, unlike football, where you have the two point conversion and a field goal, or unlike basketball, where you have a two point and a three point and the foul lacrosse is just one goal. It's like hockey. So when these parents say, oh, we lost by one goal, only by one goal. Of course, that's what you're trying to either score or prevent. It's one goal. So there's a little different strategy in that game versus some of the other games. But I track the improvement. Um, I think we're serious. But at the high school, college level, it can't be too serious. And what I mean by that is at the Division One level, they're using the target heart rate monitors to run the sprints. They're using the GPS on the weights to make sure you go all the way down. So I think I tail it back a little bit as far as what type of group or athletes that you have, because when you're 15 to 18, your cardio and your strength is going to be a lot lower than when you're 19 to 22. So you have to have that balance. So I think I do a really good job of letting the kids play and have a nice balance of what's not D1, but we do have the will to win and try to be the best version of yourself. And I'm a lacrosse connoisseur. So I want to see good lacrosse. No doubt. I like that. I'm just going to make a comment because I think you'll find it funny. So you said when you were, when you're at Palma, you said the best split is to play football and then lacrosse. And I was thinking to myself, how are you going to leave out basketball when you know it's the most similar game out there? And then you just made the comment. And so it's like, all y'all listening, make sure they play all three seasons. But going back to that, what have you learned and more importantly, borrowed watching other disciplines? We all watch our sport a lot, but I don't think the average coach in their early development or hell, even in their late development, Mario, truly understands and appreciates how much they can take from another sport and apply it to theirs. So I'm always curious, what have you learned? What have you taken that you've directly applied to lacrosse that you saw in a sport that wasn't lacrosse? Okay. So I'll give you um, a couple of examples. So I played, I played junior college football for MPC and I got to play for legendary Chris Pappas. And on Friday nights, we would be in our game uniforms and we would go through the walkthrough. And at the time, I was probably, what, 20, 21, 22. And he would make us practice the timeouts. And he would call a timeout. And, you know, you had 80 guys. And he would have the water where it was supposed to be and the huddle of where it was supposed to be. And he would set the timer. And he would 
do, and I thought at the time, this is the most ludicrous thing ever. Like, how, well, why are we practicing timeout? Why are we practicing timeout? Yeah. And then you realize that as a coach, that's really all you have to influence the game. And I think for the young coaches, the sooner you can figure out how you're defending a goal or trying to score a goal by using your timeouts, they don't carry over. You can't take them home. And as an official, that's the most frustrating part for me in a game of flow that you don't use your timeouts. But with that being said, if you've ever watched Kansas basketball and Bill Self, you know that they're getting ready to call a timeout because the whole thing is synchronized. The towel boys get the towel, the water guys get the water, the, the guys set the chairs out, and man, when it's a timeout, they're there. He's got the dry race board. He's going through it, and it's in and it's out like an like a IndyCar F1 pit stop. And that's when I've realized, hey, we get two timeouts a half in lacrosse, two, two in the first half, two in the second half. You, you try to keep your two in the fourth quarter. So when the game's on the line, it's either possession to defend or keep it. But yeah, I would say that in basketball and the timeouts and, and you guys get how many, you get a, tr- a, a gazillion timeouts in basketball, right? So I think that as a young coach, you definitely need to leverage it and you can't be calling for the water boys. They need to be ready to go and drop it. You give them water, and it's a competitive advantage. So the more and the and the and, and you have to practice it. And so I've changed uh, my philosophy. That is extremely important, especially in overtime, where it's sudden death or next goal wins. That's fascinating, and it's funny because that was one of the things I talked to the girls about this year before our first game. This is how we do it. But I didn't go to the level of, all right, we're going to actually practice this. I'm going to use it in practices, blow the whistle. You got to go over there. And I, and it's like funny. So seven games in, I'm still harping on the same thing and not smart enough to realize, hey, maybe I should build some time in to practice the timeout. So I will be stealing that. You said you had a couple examples. What are others that you've used? We haven't gone into technology. But you have to leverage technology. And since the iPhone and the film and everything, funny story, right? My dad would come to the football games first half and he would take photos. And then we used to have a thing called the one hour photo, Kodak one hour photo. And he had a friend that owned it. So he at halftime would go and get the film developed and he missed the whole second half, come back. And in the locker room, he'd lay out all the photos of the first half and the kids loved it. And it was unbelievable. And now I think that quarterback, the lineman, the, the basketball player, the face off the goalie can come to the sideline and watch the previous play or face off or whatever, and then go back in to the game at whatever uh, period it is. The competitive advantage with the use of technology at all levels, you'll laugh. In fourth grade football, tackle football in Oklahoma, coaches are wearing the headsets. They are out here too. <laughs> and actually, to be honest with you, I I think it's great to your point, leveraging the technology because my son just finished. He played five or six years of Pop Warner. Okay. Uh, and this was his last season. And there were, I, I would film for the coach just mm-hmm. to help him out. And then I would send it to him after the fact, but there were times in the middle of the game, I'm trying to text him 
And it's, yo, they got eight in the box because I'm up on the freaking tower and he's getting it after the game. It's, yo, this would have been helpful. I'm like, you'll get some headsets. <laughs> but pretty funny. And that's what you're referencing. Hold on one sec. Someone's at my door. There you go. There's my kid. Can I get the keys? That's for the keys. All right. So pivoting from there, how would you say your approach to coaching has changed from the start until now? And what advice would you have for your younger self to help you jump ahead, almost like a time machine that you can offer to other people? Yeah, I think when you're young and in your 20s and, and you haven't had, you know, as many mentors. So I would say, I guess, for my younger self, that my value as a coach wouldn't be directly related to my wins and losses. Which is, wait, go ahead, get into that a little bit. As you grow older, and I think parenting, once once you're a coach and you have your own kids, I think that helps in the maturity level of how you deal with the players. I think the athletes have changed over 30 years. I think it goes back to the phone. I think that just as society, we're a lot softer. The example I'd give is that if I was getting a bad grade at Stevenson, we'd set up an appointment to, to talk to the teacher and it would be, okay, what does Mario need to do more and, and work and read or extra credit or whatever I have to do? And I think today's society, you have that, that teacher meeting and it's the teacher. And why isn't the teacher teaching better? My kid's failing because of the teacher, not because of my work ethic. So I think it goes hand in hand in society. Uh, I don't believe in participation trophies. I don't think that's a good reflection of life. I, I think that today the parent uh, bails out their kid when they face adversity. And I think back in the day, um, the example I would give is that in college, I spent a night in jail. And I think today's parents, if they had the opportunity to have that kid sit in jail and learn a lesson or bail them out, I think they would bail them out. And I just think that's kind of the transition of our society and technology where everything's at an instant notice. If I want to watch a movie, if I want to order food, if I want to order a ride, I just think that the kids entitlement, it's not their fault, but it's just become world-class. And so what they think hard work is, everybody wants to win, but are you willing to do the work behind the scenes of what it takes to get you mentally and physically prepared to, to actually win? And I think the next level of that is everybody thinks their Johnny is better than he actually is. And this D1 or bus mentality just absolutely infuriates me because small market, big fish, that, that that's one thing. But you go an hour and a half out of town and it, you, you find some really impressive athletes. And so I just think that sometimes these parents' expectations of their sons or daughters is unrealistic. And I just think that it's a society problem that uh, as good as technology is, that's some negative things about technology. Lots of gold in that answer. And we could probably spend two hours talking about each one of those deals, but I'm going to keep us moving here and uh, get to a place here where we can, you can throw a few more pieces of advice out there. So one thing I usually ask is what is something you've most recently changed your mind on? And it doesn't have to be sport related. But it's more about the growth mindset of I used to be dug in over here and believe X. Now I'm about Y and I've changed my position on this. And here's why. What, what do you have from that standpoint? Yeah, so I would say for me, just technology, I used to spend hours on writing the 
the script or I'd have the playbook. It was a big binder and it was all written. And I think the Sooners taught me that they will not read an email, no matter whether it's a half a page or three pages, but they will watch a video. And so one of the things that I could give to the young kids who are much more savvy at technology than I am is we had a private Instagram account of just the players. And we were unfortunate to have a lousy practice time. And so we had a lot of people that had labs for two or three hours. And so we didn't have 100% uh, occupancy of practice. And so in order to soften that gap, I put everything in video and I put it up on our private Instagram account. And so they knew that the Let's say you have uh, 100 hours of instruction and you have three months and I do it in phase one, phase two, phase three. And I'd go to the back end of that Instagram account and goes, anybody watching these videos? 35 views. Oh, my goodness. They're watching it. So we show up at the game and they haven't been in practice, but they know how to run the sequence of looks because they've watched the video. So that was a real aha moment for me. And having to learn how to cut and splice and film and present it in the medium that they look at. Because back in the day, Coach Young had the Manila folder with each play and the scout team. And this is what you do. And you could see it. And that's the other thing is that you have different learners. You got some people that you can tell them what to do. You got other people you got to show them what to do. But the video, you got the sound and the video. And, and, and here's what I can't wait. And hopefully somebody out there, maybe it's a pirate, but wouldn't it be great to have a video game of whatever sport and I plug in my roster and now in the off season and all summer, they play the video game with my playbook. And by the time I ever get to the field, they already know the man up, man down, they know the trap, the double team. And so, you know, that's coming. And I think that'll really be influential as a coach to, to essentially teach the kids better but how nice would that be to just show up at palm and be like dude they already they've been playing this game for three months they know the whole playbook inside and out all the positions and all you gotta do is show up and roll the ball out it's funny that you say that because when cooper was working with me directly and he was coaching the jv football team i said to him multiple times like why don't you take a segment of practice and go downstairs rosen and have the kids play madden because you know we're getting kids that are international kids that have never played a sport before. And it's like you're talking a foreign language to them from an athletic standpoint. Even without the playbook coach, you just have them play the game and all of a sudden they they understand it better. And uh, they never did it. <laughs> and it's funny that you now just brought that up. Uh, all right, let's wrap with this. Uh, yep. This will be a what is an insult you've received that you're most proud of? Oh, easy. So it was 1996, and we're playing in, in the Fleet Center in uh, Phil Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. It's negative 10 outside, and they say there's 23,000 people, games on ESPN2, and they say number seven from the University of California, Berkeley, Mario Ania, and in unison, 23,000 people yell, sucks. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. I haven't heard that one funny all right hey coach i appreciate you coming on today thanks for taking the time looking forward to getting this out there in the universe thank you so much coach go pirates this podcast was also brought to you by teachhoops.com as coaches our inboxes will get flooded with noise on how to make your program better 
teachhoops.com will get you focused on what needs to get done. One thing you've heard from these podcasts is no matter the experience, you got to keep pushing yourself to be better. Coach Steve Collins will help you direct that noise. He is there to help you. He has the credentials as a coach, and he's never turned down a Teach Hoops member. Sign up for a plan at teachhoops.com and mention us at checkout. This site is here simply to help you be better. Take advantage and see you on the court. Remember, go to teachhoops.com. This episode is brought to you by Element, spelled L-M-N-T. What is Element? It's a delicious sugar-free electrolyte drink mix. As a coach, we are constantly trying to find the best products for our athletes to train and compete at their highest level. Element is a great alternative to other commercial recovery and performance drinks and has enough sodium, potassium, and magnesium to get you feeling and performing your best. Plus, it has zero sugar, no artificial ingredients, and is gluten-free. With eight delicious flavors, you're guaranteed to find one your taste buds will love. I know our athletes love the citrus salt. We keep a variety box in the office and our athletes stop by every day on their way to practice and games to load up. At this point, they won't even touch another electrolyte product. Without amazing products and sponsors like Element, our podcast would not be possible. Right now, when you click on our affiliate link and place your first Element order, Element will give us 100% commission. Last thing, Element might have the best return policy on the planet. If you don't love it, you'll be instantly refunded.